Amen. So as I mentioned at the beginning of this service, we're beginning a new journey through the Psalms again. You may recall we did this last summer as well. We spent, I think, 18 Sundays last summer going through the Psalms, and we'll do about the same this late spring and, and summer. And so today we're going to, kind of like the children upstairs, begin at the beginning, Psalm 1. And then next week and in future weeks, we're going to jump ahead to another section of the Psalms um, and kind of go through some unique psalms together. But today, Psalm 1, and if you look at your your, um, psalms reading guide, today is Psalm 1. So if you're here listening, you are checking the box for Psalm 1 today. But beginning tomorrow, you're on your own, and we'll do it together. We'll encourage you with it. But hear now the word of the Lord, Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the reading of God's word. Amen. Let me pray once more. Heavenly Father, we pray that the word of God will return to us and produce fruit a hundredfold in us today. We know that it will not return empty. So Lord, uh, teach us something new today. Soften our hearts. May we see Jesus today. It's in his name we pray, amen. So delight is what we're talking about today. His delight is in the law of the Lord. So think about what makes you delight Today, in your life, we've talked about a number of things already. Uh, What is it that just brings you to utter delight in life? For me, there was one clear answer from the last couple of weeks. And to me, I don't know why this is the case, but if I immediately, the thing that came to mind when I wrote that on the paper to preach the sermon, what brings you delight? To me, it was tacos and a Coca-Cola two weeks ago. Why? I don't know, but that was the first thing that came to mind. I had the best tacos a couple of weeks ago and a glass bottle Coca-Cola, and it satisfied me like nothing has in in recent history. Not sure why, but it just was wonderful. And I think that's kind of, that's, that's what I'm trying to get at with delight. You don't have to overthink it. It's just what comes to mind. Usually that's, that's the truest answer we can give. Now, at the same time, I do think it's worth considering because the psalm kind of leads us in this direction, especially from the beginning as well, is what is the opposite of delight? What are the things that do the opposite in you? And a lot of people, I think, would go towards something in the realm of duty, things that you have to do that you're not necessarily wanting to willingly do, but you kind of have to do or must do just for the sake of doing it. 
And oftentimes people have a hard time combining duty and delight together. And unfortunately, sometimes religion, especially organized religion, or even Christianity for some, becomes more duty than delight. As opposed to the taco and Coca-Cola, it becomes more like the cafeteria meal that you were served in second grade, that you just didn't really get a choice. You just had to have it to survive. But is that true Christianity or is that true belief? And of course, I'm going to tell you no, or else why would we be here? That's not what true Christianity or belief should be like. It shouldn't be a duty. It should be a delight. So Psalm 1 is a beautiful entry point into finding that kind of delight. This is, this is where the Psalms come crashing into our world. They are like the tacos and Coca-Cola for our soul, or whatever that equivalent is for you. You know, I love the quote that I found from C.S. Lewis this week that was on the screen. It's on the front of your bulletin. The most valuable thing the Psalms do for me, C.S. Lewis, is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. Now, if you don't know that story, you're like, who is David and why is he dancing? David was king of Israel and he wrote a lot of the Psalms. A lot of these are his journals and writings. But David... At one beautiful time in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14, they had just brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, the presence of God for the Old Testament Jewish people. They bring it into Jerusalem. And here's King David, the most powerful man in the area. And it says this, David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. Meaning that he was, he was stripped of his kingly attire. He wasn't royal King David in that moment. He was a man who loved God and he danced with all his might. And so that's what the Psalms should lead us into as well. Is to that kind of utter delight in God. We need the Psalms for delight, if nothing else. Just a couple other quotes. Here's another one from C.S. Lewis. He says, joy is the serious business of heaven. That heaven's business is joy. G.K. Chesterton says that joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. You as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, as someone who's pursuing him, you get access to real and everlasting joy and delight. I'm using joy and delight here as synonymous. And you get to experience that. It's a secret that's not meant to be kept alone in you. It's a secret that's meant to be shared. But Psalm 1, verse 1, shows us why this can be so elusive for us as humans. And so before we go deeper into delight, let me just give you a brief moment on the first verse. Psalm 1, 1. Because we read, blessed is the man. And then it tells us how you're not blessed. (laughs) It says a couple of things. People who walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit on the seat of scoffers, those people are not the blessed ones. And I just find it fascinating that you get a threefold thing here about walking, standing, sitting. Three different postures, three different activities, movements, you could say, that we are tempted to go into. 
walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers. All of these are in the wrong places with the wrong people doing the wrong things. And therefore, we miss delight because we are so busy trying to do something else with the wrong people in the wrong space. And so the Psalms are not necessarily meant for us to find another active thing to do. And again, as modern people, we can be tempted to just, okay, what's the action point that I can just go do? Something I can walk into or a place I can go. And that's certainly part of the Christian life, but it's not the primary encouragement today. The temptation to do often overcomes our delight in being something beautiful that God has in store for us. If you're, if you're going to be encouraged to do anything today, active, I would encourage you to dance like David. But maybe wait until after I'm done preaching. It might distract me. So how can we delight in God with, while resisting the walking, sitting, standing with those people, those that are uh, counter to what God is doing, those who are maybe leading us astray? So a couple of things here. Number one, verse two, delighting through meditation. Meditation. I mentioned this a few weeks ago in a sermon that I think our society has a real problem with multitasking. And I'm doubling down on that today. We have a problem in our world of being multitaskers. And it's because of those blasted smartphones in a lot of senses, which I intentionally left on the pew today. We, we do so many things at once. And we think that that's being productive and therefore living our life to the full. And I was so convicted of this this week. I was trying to watch the Celtics playoff game on my TV. And for some reason, the TNT app was not properly working. And so I couldn't watch the game on TNT. I had to go to the NBA app, which I don't know if any of you know this, but if you watch the game on that app, it's like a drone camera. It's like sitting above the court and there's no commentary. You can't, it's not the normal angle and you, it's hard to follow. Like you can't just like sit on your phone and play a game or do something else. Like if you're going to watch the game that way, you have to actually watch the TV to see what's going on. And so guess what I couldn't do? Multitask. And it, was a, it just was a reminder for me of like, wow, I so easily snap into multitask mode. And usually it's phone related, but it can be a number of things too. Uh, just think about being present in one place, how challenging that can be for the modern person. And so for a believer, having a singular focus is so crucial. And, and what the Psalm, Psalm 1 verse 2 leads us into is meditation. On his law, he meditates day and night. Now, again, I know when I say the word meditation, not only Christianity comes up, but I'm sure a number of other religions maybe come up first when you hear the word meditation. Hinduism or Buddhism, a lot of Eastern religions talk about the practice of meditation. And I'm here to say that just because other religions think meditation is good doesn't mean that it's bad for Christians to also engage in it. Now, the question is, what is true meditation? What does that actually look like? Different than Eastern religions, Christianity does not teach that meditation 
is, a, is an escape from reality. Most Eastern religions, when they talk about meditating, it's a, it's a chance to empty yourself, to step away from your present pains or struggles and to escape it. But for Christianity or for believers in Jesus, meditation is actually entering deeply into the fullness of what you're experiencing, yet bringing it to God. And here, obviously, we're directed to meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. But even more deeply, meditation in this sense is simply an encouragement for us to focus in on one thing at one time. One singularly focused, important, most important thing in life. And being all the way there in that. It's not just glancing over something and then moving on, but sitting with something for a long extended time, singularly. And this for the Christian is the law of God. That's what the psalmist directs us to, meditating on the law of the Lord. Now you may say, okay, the minute you talk about the law, that sounds like duty already. That sounds like I need to step into something without much delight. So maybe you're already losing your delight the minute that I say law. And before you go all the way down that path, let me just encourage you with some of the other things that other Psalms say about the law of the Lord. Loving the law. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, 113. I hate that I am double-minded, but I love your law. Psalm 119, 163. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace are those who have love for your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Or what about Psalm 19, verse seven, verses 7 through 11? This is just a few pages over. And this talks about the sweetness of the law. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by keeping them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Do you see how these psalmists, they, they are clinging to the law of the Lord. It doesn't seem like a duty to them. It feels like love and sweetness to them. So how can you get to the place where you can love the sweetness of the law of God like this? Let me give you just a couple of practical encouragements for this. Number one, read your Bible. <laughs> and, know that, and again, I, that may sound like duty right away also. But this is why we're giving you a Psalms reading sheet for the summer. You give the Bible a chance. Read it. See what it does for your soul. Take your anxious moments and open the scriptures. Read your Bible. That is, that is something, if I were to say that 100 years ago, I think it would have been very much assumed that every Christian did. But unfortunately for today, and I see this even in my own life as a pastor, that because there's so much happening in the world, it can be easy to just say, well, I don't need to read the Bible today. 
there are many Christians who have not read most or even half of the Bible. And so I just encourage you, give the Bible a chance. Persevere through it when you don't understand things. Just keep coming back because it has changed people for many, many years. Number two, within that, on a kind of a second level, I, I encourage you to commit yourself to memorizing aspects of scripture and start small. I mean, you can start with three words if you want. Jesus loves me. <laughs> that says that throughout the scriptures. But start small. Just begin building a treasure case of memorized scripture. And then let those even subconsciously feed your soul throughout the day. When moments get difficult, when you have great moments, start letting the words of scripture become your, your language. And again, the Psalms are a great way to do that. In, in, the new, in the new Sunday school class, we just said we're gonna start this year. One of the sections is on scripture memory. So I encourage you, uh, if you're gonna be part of that class, to even take, take, a, take a chance this summer on that with memorizing scripture. The last practical encouragement I'll give is you know, what it says here. It says, on his law, he meditates day and night. So I encourage you, begin your day with scripture and end your day with scripture. Again, if you need to start short, start short. That's fine. But be in the Bible all the time and make it bookends of your day. There's a man named Robert Murray McShane who only lived to be 30 years old. He lived from 1813 to 1843. Um, but he was known even just by those 30 years of life. He was famous and is still famous today for his reading of the scriptures and for his love of the Bible. He would carry a pocket Bible as a constant companion with him throughout his 30 years of life. And it had marks of being used um, in, in sunny times and in rainy times. And one person remarked of how, how this young uh, person searched and fed upon the word of God with an eagerness, which I have never seen equaled. And the reason why he's well known today is because he was so passionate about Bible reading, about loving the law of the Lord, that he, he wrote a daily reading plan for Christians to use that is still used by many people today. And it's a rigorous reading plan. But what it does is it gives you four chapters of scripture every day. Two of them are Psalms. And then there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. And you can read through the whole Bible in a year. But one of the beautiful parts of it is, again, because you may be feeling duty coming in again. You know, this dark cloud. So, oh, there's the duty coming again. But one of the beautiful things that is maybe misunderstood about this reading plan is that it was divided so that the middle two chapters. So one of the, what the first chapter was meant for the beginning of the day. One chapter was meant for the end of the day, but the middle two chapters were meant to be read as like a family devotion. So if you had kids or if you're sitting around a table with family or if you're in a workplace, it was meant to be done together. And then he even encourages the Psalms to be sung as, as music and turn them into songs. So he, you can see here, he's trying to press away from the duty into delight as well. That's just one of the many Bible reading plans that are out there. Again, we live in beautiful times where we just have a, you know, a huge excess of resources. There's never been a better time to find what works for you to read the Bible. And as your pastor, I'd love to help you do that, whatever works best for you. 
And what helps for me in terms of reading the Bible is when I remember that actually the law of the Lord is actually a living person. It's actually Jesus himself that is the law of the Lord. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, Jesus said, but I have come to fulfill them. So when you're reading the scriptures, you're actually engaging with the living God himself, spiritually speaking, through this person of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an interactive text. It's not like reading History 101 that was given to you in college. It's reading a living text. You know, one person says, you know, sometimes Christians have, have fallen prey to a paper pope, meaning that they actually worship the Bible as if it's just a text that is meant to be mastered. In order for it not to be a paper pope, you have to remember that it's a living person who is breathing into that text. It's an encounter with a living God. Love your Bible and your life will be well spent. There, you know, there's a, there's a, a quick um, quote I heard one time that says, if you see a Bible that is ragged and torn and well used and about to fall apart, that means, it, that, that means it belongs to a person who is not ragged and torn and who is about to fall apart. It's a great quote. Just a couple other things here from Psalm 1 um, to go deeper in delighting. Number two, if you look at verses 3 and 4, you get into this image of a tree. And um, you know, I'll, the point is delighting uh, can come through being right where you are. And it's actually meant to be that. And... I want to talk about this tree image. You know, if you think about a tree, you know, we talked earlier about walking, standing, sitting. A tree doesn't do any of those things. A tree doesn't walk around. A tree doesn't sit down when it gets tired. A tree doesn't even stand on its own. A tree is totally unique in that it is planted. It develops roots. It goes deep. And then it expands, but it's planted in one place, and that's what makes it thrive. And if it's planted by streams of water, a nourishing source, that, that basically guarantees its fruitfulness. And the psalmist is encouraging us to be like a tree, planted by streams of living water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Why? Not because he's active and walking around and trying to like find the next great thing to invest his time in. It's because he's just there. He's rooted. He's a tree. You know, there's a problem in our world, not just of multitasking today, but there's also a problem of moving on from things too quickly to the next thing. You know, I was talking to a pastor in Boston recently whose church is in a great location right next to Fenway Park, right in the middle of all these college campuses. He should have a thriving church. But he says one of the biggest problems of being a church in Boston is that people come, they invest, and then they move away. And that's just part of what it means to live in the modern world. And so I encourage you, as much as you can, you know, sometimes moving is necessary. If you're a refugee fleeing a war-torn area, then you should move. Um, or if you're in a bad situation, you should move on to the next thing. Or if God is opening a door, go to the next thing. 
but many times we jump at the next thing too quickly. So I encourage us to persevere, to be people who put down roots, not only in locations and in neighborhoods and in churches. I mean, that's, yes, let's do that. But mostly, as we're talking about today, spiritually, put your roots deep into something that you see as most important in your life. And as we're going to encourage you here, that's the person of Jesus. Put your roots deep into him and let him root your life. Trees have roots. They, they grow deep and steady and strong so that when wind, wind comes and storms come, you know, the top may blow, but the bottom is steady. Trees are naturally stationary. They stay in one spot. And this, this displays perseverance and steadfastness and endurance. And then trees produce fruit. They grow when they are healthily planted and nurtured. And likewise, many of you have seen, I'm sure this time of year, when you're weeding your garden, you see evidences of plants that were not well taken care of or rooted or had good water sources next to them. Don't be like those. What I love about trees is that they're all unique too. My wife and I are kind of trying to think through what tree do we want to plant in our yard next. And it's really fun to see all the diversity of types of trees. And as we think about the body of Christ as the church, each of us are different. We'll grow different at different seasons, different colors, different sizes. But it's beautiful in their diversity. So think about where you're planted your city, your job, your neighborhood, your family. And then take a moment to realize that that is exactly where God wants you for this season. So don't, don't easily transition out of it too fast. God has a reason for you being in that place. Could even be in an emotional place or a physical place. Think about the people around you that God has put into your life for you to love. Not to be influenced in a poor way like the mockers that we mentioned at the beginning of the verse. As a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus who is connected to him and who grows when you find your life source in him. You know, it's hard not to talk about this passage without thinking of John 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. So as much as we've talked about us being a tree, it's actually... It's actually Jesus who is the truest tree and we grow out of him. And we find our health in his health. We find our righteousness in his righteousness. We grow out of him and we are healthy because he has risen. He has defeated death and sin forever. So again, I just encourage you to consider what are you doing to grow? What are you investing your, your daily life in? Your spiritual disciplines, your, your formation in him. How are you planting yourself next to the water, the life source, the, to Jesus himself? You know, we're, we're told here at the end of the psalm that, that the wicked are, are the opposite. They're like chaff. Chaff is that, that stuff that comes off of wheat after it is, comes out of the earth. It just kind of, it's the flaky stuff that just blows around. It doesn't have roots. It doesn't produce fruit. It gets, it gets blown away not by a storm, but by one little tiny puff of wind, it blows away. That's like chaff. Don't be chaff. Who wants to be chaff? Don't be it. Be a tree rooted deeply. The last thing I'll say about trees 
is that trees that are planted near each other, their roots actually over time begin to intersect. And when those roots intersect, that makes it really hard for any of the trees to be uprooted or to fall over. So again, think about us here, planted next to each other in this church, in this city for this time. You are much more likely to not fall away if you are committed to community. So good choice in being here because your tree has a much better chance of staying alive when the next storm in your life comes because you're rooted not only in Jesus, but with each other as well, deep underground. The last point that'll lead us into the Lord's Supper today is verses five and six. You know, it talks about the wicked who will not stand in the judgment But the delight for a believer in Jesus is that you can have full assurance in where you will be when the judgment comes, when you die and stand before God, which the scriptures say there is a judgment day where all of our works and all of our life will be laid bare before a righteous judge. You can delight in your assurance today that you have confidence in knowing how you will be judged, not because of your good works, Not because you're the best tree in the garden, but because you were planted with the right uh, right life source next to you, the living water of Jesus, who laid down his life for you so that your good works don't have to be put on the judgment seat, but it's Jesus's good works that are on the judgment seat, which he was perfect and righteous and good. So you are judged by him. And the opposite, it says, it says the wicked are not so because they've rejected that life source. So not only do they wither here and they blow away like chaff, but actually at the judgment, they have no hope either. So it's a warning for us, but also for the faithful, it's a grand delight of assurance that you have in God. That is the gospel. It's not your works that save you. It's the strong one who saves you, Jesus himself. That's what judges you. So delight comes through that assurance of knowing him and being known by him. It's John 3.16, right? John 3.16. The thing I'll close you with as we walk into the Lord's Supper is this. I read a quote from a a pastor recently who, um, who said this. You could almost hear the, the light bulb moment for this pastor as they were writing this one simple line. And I think this applies not just to preachers or to pastors, but to you and whatever you do also. So insert your job title or your, your life title into preacher when I say this here. What if our job as preachers or as whatever you wanna fill that in with, what if our job as preachers is just to love the scriptures in public. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. And whatever you do, wherever God has called you. So that's the invitation to immerse into the Psalms with us this summer. Because the Psalms will bless your soul in, in what we talk about and what we read this summer but they'll also lead you on a beautiful treasure hunt into the other beautiful parts of scripture, to Jesus, to the Old Testament, to the new heavens and the new earth, 
So join us on that journey. We're excited to partner with you in that together. Let me close us in prayer, and then we will take the Lord's Supper together. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we, we want to be blessed like the one who is planted by streams of living water. So as we approach the Lord's table to, to tangibly eat and drink as a remembrance of what you've done for us, uh, this is our coming to you to receive life and to be reminded that our identity is found in you. Just like a good tree's identity is found in its health, so our identity is found in you. You give us life. So help us to remember that now as we take the Lord's Supper. Amen.